and welcome to Voices of Change, the podcast that brings you the stories of extraordinary individuals making a difference. I'm Celeste Imbo, your host, and today we have a remarkable guest, Father Vitaly Novak, the chair and driving force behind DePaul Ukraine's humanitarian response. From delivering aid to conflict-stricken areas to his own personal journey, Father Vitaly's story is a beacon of hope in challenging times. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Father Vitaly. Thank you for joining us today. Um, to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from in Ukraine? I'm from, I was born in Transcarpathia Mountains, very west uh, of Ukraine, uh, very close to Slovak border. So this is my home there. Uh, mountains, mountains. I say to many of my friends that where I'm from, I say I'm son of Carpathian Mountains. And uh, where do you live now? Now, I, before the war started, I was living and ser- my service was from, run from uh, services and mission from Odessa. And uh, after the war started, I started to, to move around the whole country. But usually most of my time I spent in Odessa, Kiev and Kharkiv, uh, between Kharkiv and Odessa, then Kherson, Odessa, uh, Zaporizhia and Mykolaiv. So this is three most important cities I work and, and live. And um, just to kind of let people know what you do, you work in DePaul. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did you get into the humanitarian and homelessness sector? So the homelessness sector, I, as a, after my ordination, I was sent to work uh, to my first mission in, that was in Kharkiv. And there we, I set up as a response to the big problem we see in the city, uh, homeless, street homeless children. And we, want, we were asked by the local government to, to, part, to be part or to work in partnership with them to, to help those children on the streets and to find some solutions, bring some solutions. And how the poll was born, we invited the poll from the poll UK to Ukraine to help us and set up the charity for for street children who will be working and helping street children. So, and I was the first volunteer of the poll in Ukraine. I was founder of the poll in Ukraine. I was first driver. Then uh, I became a director of the poll Ukraine. Uh, so well, many years I was serving as the chair of the poll Ukraine. And when the war started, 2022 in February, uh, we opened our uh, as was, we wanted to respond as much as, as possible uh, with the experience we had for the last 17 years. So we went to the humanitarian area because we saw the, how big humanitarian crisis is just in one night, what's happened to us after the invasion of Russia. So we, we started to organize this and, and to organize humanitarian uh, help and aid to, to those people who were uh, in the biggest needs, like especially on front line, and be, because Kharkiv was attacked as the first city in few hours, Russia troops was around Kharkiv. All people ran away and refugees, uh, but uh, mostly those who remained, they were in big in big crisis because there was no food available, because transport all system collapsed. Nobody was bringing food to the shops. There was no able you could even not able to pay uh, because there were no workers, shops were closed or destroyed. So we started to organize in these areas uh, humanitarian aid for, first of all, food and hygiene for people. 
and uh, why we, we became to work on the humanitarian uh, level of our country. This crisis, this war, uh, forced us because we didn't want to stay indifferent uh, to the situation. We wanted to act in some way, and then as we found ourselves, it was something natural for us to, to remain with people who suffer and to try to find how to help them. Can I ask you, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So it was like, do not lose your internal peace, uh, first of all, and then to, to be open for advice. For, for If somebody is telling you not to close yourself, that you know something, you reach something, you, you have knowledge or you, you mean something. Like It was to be open all the time for, for a dialogue, to be open for... Even confrontation, if somebody says to criticize you or want to say, tell you something. So to, to remain open. That's really good. Really interesting to hear that. Um, so as you said, you know, the war started in 2022, in February. Here we are now in September 2023. Can you tell us what the situation is now in Ukraine? So situation in if you look on the on the war scale, so it is the same. And uh, I just returned back from the whole uh, front line, and it's about one thousand kilometers. There are everyday fights, so it means that the country are more and more destroyed. Yes, more less and less people have something. You know, their houses are destroyed as well. So many people still running from the front line. Uh, because the artillery can reach up to 30 kilometers very easy, this uh, difference. But as well, any city, uh, what we see now, it is even much more intensive when they shoot the missiles to the all the, the country, like from Lviv, very west city in Ukraine, to every city, they, they, they Odessa, uh, very often now. At the beginning, last year, it was not so intensive like it is now. So so in that space, like the whole infrastructure is more destroyed. Uh, country is more destroyed. Uh, people have less resources who left there and live in Ukraine because many, many businesses, many factories are not working anymore or are destroyed. So the, the situation is getting worse because of how long it, it is and it is never uh, less uh, active phase of the war on this 1,000 line, 1,000 kilometers, you know. So the people that um, that you're helping and uh, DePaul is helping, do you find that more and more people are coming to you for help? If we have more and more resources, it will be truth. More people will come to us, but because we are limited in resources, we had to only uh, look and make the categories. What, what uh, how, who we can help with the resources we have. Of course, there is, for example, when we open our uh, hotline, uh, you know, we could respond to only and every 15 requests. Uh, those people who are answering all, almost after the categories. Like everybody was calling me, so if you do not belong to this category, we are not able to help you. But even if you belong and you have right to receive help for us and assistance, that it was only every 15 person that we could 
really help. So this overwhelming, the, the, the need we see and meet, it is much bigger than we can respond. So if we have more resources, of course, we are able to, to, to respond more. What was life like before the conflict happened in Ukraine? And what's life been like since? I think before the war, life was like normal life. I think the same life you live here. When you were planning, you had some plans. Uh, you know what you're going to do, what you want to achieve. Uh, you, you were traveling, we had our holidays, we had our programs, we had our projects. We wanted to be strong voice in the society. Uh, we will voice of the homeless people on the less privileged people in the society we were planning uh, and advocating for them as well, helping on them on the streets, organizing different uh, projects and services, as I said. So we had our plans, we had our, you know, peaceful life. Uh, only now we, we value how, how, how good it was this life. And when the war started, everything, of course, it was smashed in, in one minute, like... Uh, we didn't know we will survive or not, how it's going to be, and on all our plans, just where uh, you know somebody decided it has to. No, not not that way. And now we are fighting. No, we are fighting. We are helping people just to ride to save their lives, physically lives, because what we do uh, support if we support them with the food, with the first humanitarian aid items that they need for daily life it means we, we, we support them. some community for example in one of the bomb shelters they said to me that thanks to your help that you provided during for us during all these uh, months we stayed in bomb shelter you didn't allow us to lose our humanity because he said can you imagine 300 people underground in the bomb shelter living day to day life they said we, sometimes we saw that before help came, humanitarian help and some humanitarian actions, we, were, how we, we started to experience some you know, animal uh, reflexes or animal behavior between us. But then they said when you started to bring us humanitarian aid, support us, give, bring us hope, because with every box of humanitarian help, I said, behind this, there are some people who are thinking about you who gathered these funds, bought it, and brought it to you through us uh, as in instruments or tools. But there are people in, in that way, they express their love, their support, their solidarity. So that, this was like the most important for them. So of course, like all the only wish we have that it will be peace again, that we can continue to, to, to return back, but I don't believe it will be the same life after the war, when the war will finish. So, but only wish for for every person in Ukraine now that the war will finish. It will be the peace. Was it quite difficult for you when you took up your role initially? Obviously, you couldn't foresee necessarily what was going to come along. How was it for you personally to kind of adjust to this new reality? Obviously, you knew what you were going to do in your role in Depaul, but then obviously things totally changed. And how was that for you? So for me, I was thinking like to to help. I think a little bit. Like I didn't expect so big. The last six months, we reached to over one hundred thousand people. So it was like this scale of support 
and uh, for me so it was like incredible i couldn't believe so how people believe and support us so this accelerate all our actions and we started to plan where is the need which cities i never believed that i will work in 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 uh, cities like Mirhorod, Konotop, uh, all frontline, Kherson, Mikolaev, and then and Zaporizhia. I was thinking because focused only only these cities and projects we had before the war. But now, thanks to this support and help, we went to uh, we could help more and more people and in in many cities in Ukraine. Um, do you have any personal stories of any people or situations that you've encountered or met during this whole crisis? I just said, for you know, for a week ago, I've just been in in Mikolai region. Uh, Volodymyr and Natasha, old uh, elderly couple who remained there in Mikolai city. So this story was like I am following with them that indirectly we are like became friends, not only because we supported them with the humanitarian aid or with rebuilding their, their house, helped them to rebuild. Uh, and I, I remember it was not funny, but in that way, I brought him uh, the whole roof to repair the roof because he, his roof was destroyed, Vladimir. And next day I, I got phone call. I said, do you know, Father Vitali, what you done? I said, what? Vladimir is in hospital. Oh, I said, why? Because he was so happy that that you you brought you were able to bring him this roof, he got he got a heart attack. <laughs> it's not because of of bad situation. He survived the war. He survived the sharing. But he was so happy, like I said, and so grateful. Like somebody like remembered about me, and it is every story when we come and help people. Like they are so, you know, this would give us hope and support our spirit. Uh, if you're there with people and, and, and have interest in their life and want to, to change their destiny, their suffering uh, a little bit more and bring more more goodness to, to this situation. So this is wherever we go like with this and we meet with people. So there are thousands of these stories. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, the work, as you've just said, about what DePaul is doing? So you told us about how you helped to you know rebuild the roof. Um, the homelessness, providing shelter, perhaps providing food. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? So we started this to provide this uh, humanitarian aid food boxes at the beginning of the war, especially in these regions. We didn't focus on the main cities because there are other agencies. We went to countryside, to the villages. It was our outreach, we can say. We, we, we counted how many people are there. We prepared and brought, we started to brought for them help. It was our outreach, and this still continue in the regions where uh, people are not able to move, where are very dangerous because it is very close to the front line, like Kharkiv region, Zaporozhye region, in, in near Kherson. We are delivering humanitarian aid to the villages and the people. And then during that time, we created uh, day cent- humanitarian day centers in Kiev, Kharkiv, Odessa. We uh, set up our hotline where people are getting to contact us, and they we tell them when they can come, on which day and which hour. So it is important for us because it still goes air alarms and shellings even sometimes during the day so that we do not create the long queues in front of our offices, day centers. So every person, our family will come exactly for the same date and, and hour. So, the, so we have this big three day centers where we 
from where we give uh, humanitarian aid. And now we created the holistically services that people can go there as well, consultations. Uh, there are psychologists who can help them. We start to provide and, and look together with these people uh, about employment, how they can get employment in the city where they are, because these people who are coming to these day centers, uh, mostly they are uh, internally displaced people who live in Kiev, Kharkiv, or, or Odessa. And then we organized as well in these cities hostels for uh, mother and babies uh, who, are, who are running away from the front line in Kharkiv and Odessa. And in Kiev, this is our hostel, uh, prog- hostel programs. And we took this experience from UK when you had COVID and a lot of homeless people were on the streets and, and they didn't, uh, the, ho- the hotel uh, welcomed them to the, to the empty rooms and empty place. So we used this model and experience. Uh, now we are happy that we can provide for these uh, special categories of people, especially modern families. Uh, it is our another response to the Dendi. We saw how traumatized are people, and especially children who survived shellings and, and bombarding in their cities. So it was very clear for us it's not only food people need. Uh, at the beginning as well, like I met many people, uh, they were so traumatized. They said, Father, my stomach is so, how do you call it? Zjate. Uh, I don't know. I'm not able to eat even because my stomach doesn't work because this trauma and fear. So after they said, after your psychologist talked to me, I got a little bit regrets that I can uh, leave again. So we discovered this, this is as well very, a big challenge for us to help children and we created the same way in these three cities for children of internally displaced people for their children programs, psycho uh, social programs and uh, to work with the trauma. So it is another our dimension what, where in which we started to, to answer to the needs. And uh, as well, we do, do still run all our, we call them historical services for homeless people, like night shelters, outreach with hot meals for them, all kinds of consultations, hygiene and, and first medical care. It is in our daily services in Kharkiv, Odessa, Kiev. And then, of course, our uh, criminal justice services that we work in prisons and in some in Kharkiv region, for example, we remain only organization who still works during the war uh, with the prisons as well with those categories of people who we serve outside. And, and this is our work. And as well, uh, it was, and it is still very neat for winterization. Like, you know, Kharkiv is the city, as they call it, it is the city without windows. So many people are there they, because of the shellings of this bombardment. Uh, most of the floods in the North part of of cities still without windows. Even we replaced a lot of them for the for the for the people who are there. But this is another our uh, dimension of our uh, services to people during the war. I was going to ask you also, how do you try to relax when you're not working? You know, we've just heard about what's going on and all the programs that DePaul's running and how much services are needed by the people. How do you, as a person, try to relax? Can you relax? What do you do? 
that you have to. <laughs> I learned, you know, after not from the beginning. From the beginning, everybody was giving me this, and all not only me, all our team. You have to relax, you have to relax, so be a thinking, be a thinking. Because of the war, we have there is no time for relax. Everybody was thinking after victory will become, we will be relaxing. But after one and more than eighteen months of war, ongoing war. So we were at the beginning a little bit naive. We were thinking it will be finished very soon. So we will relax after. And when we saw the war is continuing and demand is still growing and it's bigger. So we have to start. And thanks to Kafot as well, I have to say, they started to question us. What's about well-being of your staff and yourself? Uh, you still want to continue? How do you relax? So, and then we started. Personally, I have to return back to this to my lifestyle, like meditation, prayer. They have this time every day uh, to to refresh your mind, your heart, your, your spirit. And then, of course, to find this. I started to find regularly time when I, I started, for example, to walk every day uh, for seven kilometers just to, to just to walk, just to go away in my mind, empty minds, to, to reflect or even to pray rosaries, to have this time. And, of course, uh, this like two months ago, I took first time holidays when the after war started. So I just took my motorbike, dirty bike, and I went to mountains for two weeks. So you like riding motorbikes? Oh, it is from my childhood. It, it follows me. Okay. <laughs> Every, everywhere I am, my, the bike follows me to my mission. Could you just describe those mountains that you just spoke about? It sounds like it must be very beautiful. Yes, Carpathian Mountains are very beautiful. So, and I, well, I'm happy, I'm privileged that I was born there. But you know, you uh, you never had time to to go. For example, every every mountain has his own name, his own history and story, and maybe stories around it. And so it's interesting to go uh, on the top of it and to look on your country from 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 uh, from the top of every mountain. So it was my aim, like at least to take. This uh, last uh, holidays I had to stay there. I, uh, our daughters of charity they have small chapel and house in, up in the the, the ha- on the highest village uh, exactly in the mountain. So uh, I ordered this little little house with the chapel, so I I could hide myself there and stay with, with God and nature. Do you feel like going through this experience has it? sort of increased how you feel about God and your spirituality and your faith? The most you face evil and war it is the biggest evil for me. The most you know what is God about and how good and, and how if we want to overcome and fight with evil uh, without God's help you, you are not able to do this because there are awful things that's happening during the war and uh, we see uh, and I see personally from, I don't talk for others, but uh, it is a big refuge and a big support and big, if I like, do not connect this relationship we built in my daily life as a priest, like Holy Mass, as I say, daily prayer, uh, and this practice that we have, prayer of the church. Uh, so this is very, you know, for us, it's very enough. The war undertakes the real values and bears these real values. And if you don't have them, who you are in front of this all evil and what's happening to us, you are just empty and can be victim of, of, of this or become one part of this evil. 
Do you find that a lot of people are coming to Mass more during this period? Yes. In, in, some, in some regions we see it. For example, our parish in Vincent de Paul Parish in Kharkiv, most, I think, 80% of our parishioners run away from Kharkiv and they are, they are now as refugees in all countries around the Europe. But those people who were living around the church, they were never Catholic. They came to, to parish. So building is not empty now. They said, we, do not, you're, we don't know you're right, but we want to pray, that you pray and raise our prayers to God because you stayed with us as a church, as a parish. You helped us during the most difficult time in Kharkiv. They said your building became, uh, your building saved our physical life because 150 people were under the church in the basement when there was the biggest shelling on this part of the city. And then they say, they ask us, like, help us to save our souls. So, so it is only example on our parish. We were thinking in the beginning, so we lose the parish. Or what with will be this building serving now? But it is not truth. The God providence leads and, and, and have his own plans for us. Do you have a message for the UK supporters? No, it's not a message, but it is my humble thanks. Uh, that you stay with us, you support us all this time. And I, many times when I reflect this, I say it's more about you than about us. Yes, we need help. We are in very, very danger and a very hard situation. But you who believe, for example, in peace, who believe in, in, in freedom, in, in, in these values that we have a right to live on our land and, and, and decide what, how we want to live, you, you believe in it and you support this movement. Your people who are supporting us from the beginning. So it is my message. I first of all, I'm very humbly and thank all of you uh, because through this support, through this aid of donations, you say as well for us who you are and how important it is to support as well and, and to be not indifferent uh, to others, especially if they are in need. What gives you hope for the people of Ukraine? It's already hope that we started, not we didn't start the war. Uh, we started that movement to how to be out from the, this dictatorship of this Russia who want to decide our destiny. We, we decided, no, we are not want to be part of it. We want to, be, to belong to the civilized world and to the European Union community and the values. And we started this process. This is, was like that we as a nation could stand for these values. And even we paid the biggest uh, price because lives of many of us, but it is for freedom. It is for, for to live our life of our land and to decide for ourselves who we can win. So this is the hope that finally, because this war is not, didn't start 2022, it was started 2014. It was, we had many revolutions before this when we were trying to, to, to change to change uh, this vector, general vector of our society. And finally, we, we started this. And this is, it is already the hope. That we could stand up. Georgia tried this, and it, is, it was frozen uh, conflict until now. Moldova and Transnistoria, we see other countries, but we, we stand and, and we still fight for this value of freedom.
So I was going to also ask you, what are your hopes for the future? But I guess it's tied to what you just said there, to have freedom. So our hope that we become a normal civil society country with this strong civil society, who, who and, and with, with the freedom, with not. Uh, so this is the biggest uh, hope, and we want to belong, you know, like to to that part of the world. Uh, so and it is. Until we fight, we, there is still hope. Thank you so much, Father Vitali, for joining us today and for sharing your inspirational journey and shedding some light on the extraordinary work that's carried out by DePaul International in Ukraine. Thank you. We made it together. <laughs> yes, we did.